Well, it's the very last episode of QAV for 2020. I would like to thank everybody for tuning in this year and for all of the support and the questions and the people who've turned up to our events and the Zoom calls and uh, everybody. It's been a, an, an enlightening and interesting and challenging year for investors, but I, I personally have learned a ton from Tony this year and also from everybody on the Facebook group and the emails and um, it's, for me it's been a very educational year about the fundamentals of investing and I hope you've got a lot out of the podcast as well and I hope you've had a lot of success with your investing. Um, it was a good year for our portfolio. I did my end of year report last week. You can see that on the website if you haven't already. I think we, the final numbers, well, I haven't looked this week, but as of the end of last week, I think we were up about 14% for the year, our portfolio, versus the All Ords, which I think was up about 4% total return index. So we did about three times the All Ords, give or take, which is pretty good. Um... So th this last episode for the year is an interview that Tony and I did uh, three or four weeks ago with QAV Club member Damien Parker. I've had the opportunity to catch up with Damien in person a couple of times. He lives on the Gold Coast. Lovely guy. Uh, and we, we basically invited him on to talk about his experience. So very successful businessman and author and um, he has a lot of insights to share on business success. So that's what this episode is mostly about, a little bit about his investing background. But it's mostly, he wrote a, a couple of very successful uh, books about business, how to run a successful business after he had a uh, career as an accountant. And he'll tell us uh, all that story, take us through that, and some of the principles from the book. So um, I hope you enjoy this for the last episode for the year. I hope you're all staying safe, having a great holiday. And Tony and I will be back next week with uh, the first episode of Season 4, I'm going to call it, I guess, of uh, QAV. Take care and um, talk soon. Damien, you, uh, I believe, had a very successful career as uh, well as an accountant, a property developer, uh, an author, a publisher, and uh, you're also an investor, obviously. So I guess we will start by getting you to give the audience a little bit about your background. Let's talk about how you got here. Sure. Sure. Well, um, look, I'm. Uh, well, I should start with a caveat. I'm. I'm uh, coming up seventy. So if I happen to miss a word or mispronounce something, it's not that I'm an idiot. It's just that I'm an older idiot, <laughs> right? So and I'm not as young as you two young chickadees. So we put yeah. that down to Negronis, Dave, Damien. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm going. As I say, coming up seventy, and I retired at fifty-seven, which I will say right up front to any of your listeners. Don't retire too early. Truly, you've, you've, you've got to understand that um, life goes on and uh, I've pretty well worked through my bucket list now. And then you look around and say, what the heck am I going to do now? Fortunately, I've got into investing and I, I really enjoy that. But circling around to where did I start? I'm, I'm one of those boring chartered accountants by profession. And uh, so from university, did my chartered accountancy, worked in chartered accountancy firms and, and um, I, I ended up being a partner in, in a large firm on the Gold Coast that was eventually rolled into KPMG. But the reality is that I just didn't like uh, taxation. I certainly hated pay, uh, paying it. 
but I hated doing it. And, um, and so then I, I had to make a decision. And um, so I decided to get out and, um, and then I went into property development, which, which was probably, it was a, a disaster what I did, but by gee, I learned some business lessons along the way. Um, and then, uh, so, so that I, I developed, I started to develop 12 units on the Gold Coast, thinking that I'm going to uh, uh, knock the lights out here because I'm a chartered accountant. I must know. How, how could I make a mistake? Well, reality is I, I didn't count on Australia's greatest treasurer saying that we were going to be a banana republic. And then that was the end of any, any chances of making a profit out of that project. And... Um, and so I think that uh, I went from being uh, selling out of the accounting practice with, with quite a, a bit of coin in the pocket for those days to then being worth, and I can still remember it, we were worth, uh, my wife and myself were worth minus $13,000. So everyone got paid, but we were held together by bank card and American Express and that sort of thing. So, um, and, and the, the lessons I really learned there were that um, timing is, is, is everything. Um, and secondly, that, the business is all about people because I remember on one occasion um, we had our finance with that awful ANZ um, um, finance offshoot, Asanda. You might remember them, Tony. Mm, and our interest rate was 17%. And then mm. for whatever reason, one of the drawdowns didn't happen and they, they imposed a 21% <laughs> interest uh, thing. And anyway, I remember one Friday I had to go. I had 12 subbies on site. And uh, you know what subbies are like. They all want to get to the pub on Friday afternoon. And I, I had to go to them and say, good news and bad news. The, the, um, the bad news, I haven't got your pay, but I'll have it early next week. But the good news is I just went up to the Blue Dolphin Hotel at Tweed Heads and I put 200 bucks on the bar <laughs> and you can drink that out. And, you know, I, I went from being zero to hero simply because <laughs> of that. Just one of those very simple things that yeah. you learn in life. Mm. Um, Anyway, so wrapping up the that little. By the way, I had had a couple of successful forays in property development before that, and and subsequent. But after that little disaster and, and not wanting to go back into accounting, I thought, well, what what can I do? And then I decided, well, I think I should specialise in 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 what I I do better than other people. And in that, in that regard, I thought. Um, just general business advice was what I was good at. I had a, a knack of being able to sit on a, a fruit crate with, with a business person, a small business person, and, and talk to them about, well, what, what could you do to increase sales and reduce costs and improve productivity? It, look, it's all the bog basics of, of um, business. And, and in essence, I then made a career of 25 years um, peddling common sense. That's all it is. And that's all business is when you boil it down. Common sense. But in those days, um, information had a value. And um, and right now, I'm going to say to you, I'm I'm here, whatever little success I have had, is probably because I was the right guy in the, in the right place at the right time. And nothing beats that. I think luck, you can't dispel luck in business. And at the time that I went into it, there was very, very little uh, information about how to be successful in small business. And I then uh, spent about three or four months writing a, a set of business manuals. And the, and the first one was called the Business Review Checklist and the Practical Business Guide. And not dissimilar to what you do, Tony, because it was very systems-driven. And um, 
I, I've, um, I, I reckon that word system is gold, you know, because it, you look at it as an acronym, save yourself time, energy, money and stress, S-Y-S-T-E-M-S. And, um, and that's what was the start of, of what turned out to be a, a pretty good business for us. And um, um, if I could just detour sideways and give you one example that I did learn and, I, and as in my accounting profession, my logical left brain would say this would never happen. And it is that this set of business managers I produced, I started selling them by direct mail for 165 bucks. I sold a couple and then I managed to get a, uh, a good spread in the business review weekly as it was at the time. And we sold about 100 of them. And then I met a guy and he said, nah, you know, it's too cheap. At 165 bucks, too cheap. Increase them to 365, $365. And you can imagine how, what that sounds like to an accountant. You're asking me to increase the price for something that's exactly the same. He said, yep. He said, because at 165, people perceive it, and that's a magic word, perceive, perceive it as too cheap. And you know what? They sold better at 365 than they did at 165. And um, and then uh, and then he said, "Look, I still think you're too cheap. Increase it to 685 and include include a newsletter, which I did. And they sold better at 685 with the inclusion of the newsletter. And um, and that newsletter was called Positive Business Newsletter. And, and um, I then went on to to uh, that ended up being the largest um, subscription uh, newsletter for small business in Australia. It went for something like 280 issues, monthly issues. And uh, and uh, the other very valuable lesson I learned there was nothing but nothing beats annuity income because I only, only had to make one sale up front and then you get a, a continuous flow of, of revenue. And I remember at one stage we, and I had a, a large telemarketing organisation selling those around Australia. There's about, I think we had 70 staff at one stage. Anyway, um, and, and the price of the newsletter up front was 189 bucks. And I, and I said to them, uh, my staff at the time, I'm happy to, to sell the first one for under $300 because I knew that the stream of income that would flow from that first sale would more than make up for the initial cost. So that was another valuable lesson that I learned out of that. But um, and then from there, what happened after that? That was uh, that business was was terrific for us. It took me right through till two thousand and seven when I, I sold it, and then and then retired. So look, that's uh, that's my story. And then I I wandered around the world every three months of every year for the next ten years or so, and. Um, and now here I am at uh, beautiful service paradise, God's own country. If, if I may add, I mean, I, in dealing with small to medium business people, one of the, and I really feel sorry for these guys because it's a hard, it's a hard road. And, um, and not too many people really give small business people the, the kudos they deserve. And um, I think it, it comes down to hard statistics. We, we did a survey around about, oh, I don't know, 2003 or something around. Um, of about 400 small businesses. And I've, I've got the stats here because it really knuckles the figure down. 78% um, of them considered that their business wasn't paying them a decent commercial wage. In other words, they weren't even getting what they were worth. 72% um, of them considered that their business didn't provide them with a decent commercial return. And everyone at, at workshops always said, or seminars always says, well, what's that? 
And my smart-ass answer is, well, risk and reward is always associated, so it's probably got to be greater than 15 or 20% because small business is very risky. And then 79% of them said that, that their business doesn't provide for their future. So um, I do really feel sorry for that group, and um, there's not too many groups out there who were there to help them. The government aren't there to help them. I've been on a couple of government boards for which I, I then resigned because... I came to the conclusion governments aren't really serious at helping them either. In fact, one very well-known politician after a long lunch said to me one day, mate, there's no votes in it. There are, there are, there are a group of people all over Australia and no one gets them together. There's no votes in it. Why would we want to support small business, basically? So they are a group on their own and yet, I mean, we all like Paul Kelly, you know, um, from small things, big things grow. And... That's exactly what happens to those who are serious about being, about being successful. And I've got to say to you, there are a lot of a lot of small businesses, and maybe it's the Australian habit of you know should be right, mate. They, you know, they 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 want to be successful, but they're not necessarily prepared to put in all of the hard yards that will get them there. But yeah, um, but we had. I mean, interesting to hear your story because, like like you, I was doing something similar in Queensland back in the 80s when I was working, or 80s, late 80s when I was working for Shell and was the state manager of the, uh, the workshop franchise, AutoCare. Uh, and, and being a franchisor, one of my tasks was to uh, run seminars for, for the, the franchisees and look at ways of improving their businesses and pass on things that have worked at other workshops and other states and things like that. And I, I think... All of the franchisees were really, really good business people, but I think you're right. They, you know, if you if you're running a small business, as you probably know, you, you get up early, you go home late, you do your books when you go home, you spend the whole day dealing with problems and talking to people. Mm. The last thing you've done is to sit down and actually work on the business and, and think about what could be improved or 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 plan ahead and all that kind of stuff. And and for us, I, I think we we did some good things because um, after sort of being with these people for a, a year, I put together a really simple business planning model and it, it was good for business planning, but it was also good just to go in and talk to people about their business and put their figures in and and mm. look at where the weaknesses were and where they could improve. And, and it, that was just such a simple, useful tool for people to work on their business rather than working in the business. Absolutely, yeah, 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 totally agree, and that, that's my experience as well. Um, their, their lack of planning was, was a big issue, and, um, but, but I reckon I figured the answer to that in the end, Tony, and that whilst they, that they might set a goal, they don't actually flesh out um, all of the reasons why they want that goal. In other words, they, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just a, it's a big fuzzy thing that's out there. They don't actually define it mm. to, the, to the nth degree, you know. And ultimately, mm. at the end of the day, if they really want it, they'll go for it. So... I I think some of them say they wanted it, but weren't prepared to put in the hard yards to get it. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, human psychology comes into play. There were there were two schools of well, franchisees in this case, but there were the ones who were you know got a redundancy from a corporate um, world and had taken the money and bought a service station or convenience store or whatever, and they were the ones who. You know, they were good, solid workers, but they weren't going to shoot the lights out. And mm. you had the people who, you know, were real street fighters and they were the ones that tended to work 
better in business. But but I always used to start out off with them and say, well, what does success look like? And that was yeah. the thing. People people were going to business with, as you said, very un, undefined goals. They they would like people would resign from Shell on Friday and buy a service that or take out a service station franchise on Monday and and turn up and and only because they had this idea that it was a better job or a better way to make a living and not necessarily what the return would be, what the sales were like, how to improve the business, all that kind of thing. So the first question is always what does success look like? And invariably you got, you know, some crazy answers. Oh, it looks like sitting on the beach in Hawaii after I've retired and stuff. Yeah. You take that and you work it back and say, well, how much do you need to make to get there? And you work back to the business plan. So, mm. yeah. But, I, I, you know, people just don't stand back and work on their business. They work in the business all the time. Was my yeah. experience with SMEs anyway? Yes, yes, and I, I remember doing seminars, and that I used to give some of the people um, a badge, and the badge said, "You've got to wanna." Very awful Australiana term. You've got to wanna, mm. you know. And um, a funny side story: um, a group of, of the attendees uh, was in Adelaide, I think it was. They all had their, you know, "You've got to wanna" stickers on. And uh, anyway, as as guys are when they go to these conferences that saturday night they all went out to the nightclub but they've they've, they've scratched out you've got to want it and they put do you so here they are in the nightclub do you want it anyway as far as i'm aware none of them were successful and they were very sore-headed and sodden the next day <laughs> seminar yeah it's pretty funny I, I, um, I, I read what you sent through to prepare for this and uh, the newsletter you sent through and was struck by the five percent rule Yes. Would you like to talk about that for a minute? Yes, it's uh, something that I worked out, and, and and it's 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 been we've proved that successful in our own business and with quite a number of others. We we had a, uh, a three day workshop called Show Me the Money, nice glitchy title. I think obviously uh, Tom Cruise was big at the time. <laughs> anyway, so the five percent rule is simply this: the average business in Australia, which has got a um, thirty uh, percent gross profit, ten percent net profit. If it increases sales by just five percent, and in seminars I'd get them to buy. Now that's not difficult, is it? For starters, you could increase your price, you could sell more product. Yeah, they're all nodding their head. Yeah, that's pretty easy. And then if you can reduce your product cost by five percent, meaning if you're paying a dollar for your product now, if you bought it for ninety-five cents, even you know, and there's a, we had something like 48 different strategies they could put into place to do that. Can you do that? Yeah, we can do that. Can you reduce your overheads by 5%, you know, and, you know, ring up Telstra and say, I want a better deal. We used to give them a, a form letter um, which said exactly that. And, uh, but the, the substance of the letter is you wouldn't tell the bank or the account or whatever what you wanted. You'd wait for them to come back because all you were saying is, I'm unhappy with the fees I'm currently paying I request a better deal. It could take the shape of a reduced price, better term, whatever it might be. Um, and that was quite successful. Anyway, the ultimate of that was that if, the, if they do those three things, the average business Australia could increase their profit by 61.75%. And, um, and, and not only is it uh, mathematically correct, in our business, we did it. In the Show Me The Money uh, workshops, we did it. In fact, we took that to the next level because it's all very well making profits. Um, but as you know, Tony, it's not it's cash. Cash mm. is the magic word. And uh, I used to have a saying, I'd say to them at the seminar, look, sales for vanity, profits for sanity, but only cash in the bank puts gas in the tank. It's cash, C-A-S-H. And so if you get some cash and then spend it, you ain't got it. 
So wait, the whole... wait, 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 wait. you got to repeat that again. That was too fast. <laughs> Do that slowly for me, Davey. What's that one? Is this sales for sanity, vanity. vanity. Yeah, start that uh, again. Sales for vanity, profits for sanity, but only cash in the bank puts gas in the tank. And that's it. QED. <laughs> and um, anyway, so coming back to cash, if you if you make a, a, a bigger profit that's sitting in your debtors or stock, you can't go out and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. It's got to be CISH. And um, and so that the extension of that Show Me the Money program was that we we used to get them to, to quarantine these extra profits. We'd say to them, look, this is stuff you never had before. Let's quarantine it and invest it. And we did that for, I think it was, I can't remember, I think 300 and something attendees that, that we went to those quite intensive courses. And over the course of three years, they built that up to $24 million, not in extra I think I might have made extra profit. This is extra investments represented by I've now bought that factory or I've got these shares or whatever. And and it, look, what is it? It's just following a system, Tony, following a system, you know, and that's mm. what most people don't have. They don't have the yellow brick road. Mm. But it's, I mean, it's a great uh, little motto for your life even, isn't it? You know, we could all lose 5% of our weight. We could all save 5% more and invest 5% more or whatever the three things are that are important to us. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly right. And look, now that I'm in my seventieth year, um, and I'm, I'm look, I reckon life goes through. You, you, you do your education, and then you go to struggle street as you get married and have kids, and then you go and you and you start learning the ropes. And then when things start happening, I call it they were my wanker years, and they're the years when you make you've got more money coming in the front door that's going out the back door, and you do dumb things, and you buy cars that you don't need, and all this other stuff. Well, I'm now in my less is more phase. And, and you know, life is better in the less is more phase. You know, so many, you, you don't need the Mercedes Benz or the Bentley, you know. So uh, there's many ways. If, if people are practical and sensible about what they're going to do with their money, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that small business people can end up with, you know, great investable hard rock assets instead of, you know, oh, I made a profit and, and then, but I'm still leasing the, the Mercedes Benz and I'm still paying off the loan to send the kids to such and mm-hmm. such. And, you know, and yeah, so it's a system, following a system. Mine was a system, yours is a system. That's why I'm a member of a time. Yeah. Well, tell us about that, Damien. Have, um, I guess I'll come around to asking you about your investments. But before we leave this, this whole small business thing, businesses are businesses. Do you find when you come to invest in a company on the ASX that, you can see applications for what you've taught in that company? And does that sway your investment decision? Uh, yes, absolutely. That's why I I buy my shares almost exclusively in the small end of town. Okay. Why? Because, um, well, for starters, there's not, there's not many analysts in that area. Not too many people know about them. Yes, mm-hmm. you've got to kick a lot of rocks to find the diamond in the rough, but they are there. And, um, and then and, and I also look very much at... Um, People, uh, if you've got the founders in there or, or the managers and directors and, and so on, if they've got a very big investment in it, I like that. But with one exception, sometimes you, you can find these people, and it certainly happens in small business, they don't, the owner of the business doesn't see any difference between him and the business itself. And so they're quite happy to uh, let their own emotional views get in the way of, of the success of the business. You know, sometimes you've got to have the founder stand aside and let some gung-ho business person who knows what they've got to do go in there and and take it to the next level. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm conscious of that. And I was interested in Richard Ivers' comment about talking to all of the um, uh, all of the uh, interviews he does. I think that's a wonderful idea. Um, uh, for the simple reason that, you, that if you get in front of somebody, you can you can find out what makes them tick, and you can read the body language and all that sort of thing. So I thought that was a wonderful idea. Unfortunately, we can't do it as as a small uh, business people. But you know, I found if you just picked a phone up and make a call, you'd be surprised at just who you can get through to. And, it, and um, my, my great saying is that if you want to get the right answer, ask the right question. Ask the right question. I think Einstein said that. He said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes working out the right question to ask. Because once you once you know the right question to ask, you get the right answer. Well, I know it's still possible for us to get in front of people. I know that, uh, you know, I, I probably pay more than a lot of our listeners do for a brokerage, but uh, that gets me access to maybe 50 meetings with CEOs a year if, if I want to do it. Okay. I actually I actually am different to Richard. I don't find it that useful because uh, the people who come to those presentations are very smart and very polished and they're salespeople. Yes. And and yeah. you have to you have to um, still go back to the the numbers to to either verify what they're saying or to to you know satisfy yourself that you're not being sold. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, one other thing I'll add to that in the early days when I re- retired in 2007 um, and I did for quite a while. I, I, I was quite happy to spend up to twenty grand a year just buying newsletters and subscription services and that sort of thing. But I don't do that now because I find that all it does it just gets you confused. So I'm mm. I'm very much now in the uh, I don't know whether you're a cricket fan or not, but Ian Chappell always used to say when you go out batting, just bat in the V. In other words, just take your time, limit limit the area, the scope that you're going to look at, and concentrate in that. And I, I that's very much what I do now. I, I there's a few other analysts that I'll listen to, but basically um, limit limit those and then really start to, to trust yourself. Although having said that, um, I, I know myself and I think most investors have got to know who they are. And in the early days, I, I've got to say, I did some awful things and wasted some money by, you know, talking to directors, particularly gold mining directors. I mean, I don't... <laughs> Don't, don't even bother talking to them anymore. But I, but I also know that I've got a bit of an impulsive streak and and on that basis, I've now built into the system, the system I've got is that whenever I'm going to buy a share, I, I, I've got a, a, a form I fill in, I've got to find, I've got to come up with three reasons why I will buy it and three reasons why I won't buy it. And then I won't buy the share until 24 hours minimum because that gets me over the hurdle of being impulsive and doing something that's rash. And by and large, that's um, that's worked for me. That's it's an extension of what you do, but I just take it to the next level because I know I know um, the kind of personality I am. And another thing that I, I've I've learned about myself is that um, I can get a, a, a huge bias to to a company to the point where if there's anything said about the directors, I'll go in heavily and bat for them because I've I've bought into the director and I've bought into the dream. I don't do that anymore. I found I've, I've had the ability to stand aside and just say, look, this is nothing more than investment. I don't know this bloke from Joe. I don't, don't give a damn about him. His, his job is to just make dollars and cents. That's all. Hmm. No, very much so. Well, that's a really good uh, a really good step to take to write to write down three things and then wait 24 hours. That's, uh, I think that, that's applicable to a lot of people, I think. Yes. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. 
Well, well, tell us about your vesting process. Has it evolved or um, are you using QAV? Are you using the hybrid, something different? Um, yes, I, I am using your system, Tony. I, I, don't, uh, I don't set that benchmark of 19% like you do. I, I've, I've watered mine down to 12%. I'm a, I'm a little bit, as Richard Iwas was talking about, I, I, I have been fortunate. I've got a... a nowhere near the amount of money that the families he's talking about by any stretch of imagination. But I, I've I've got enough there to unfortunately be complacent. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, I don't I don't actually check my my returns daily or weekly, even monthly. I'm just content if the balance isn't going down. <laughs> and um, that's that sounds awful. And, I, uh, and I'm telling the story against myself, but I. Do I beat uh, all odds? Yes, I do. Um, I I enjoy the analytical side of it. Um, and up until um, I met you through Stephen Mab, I was kind of like your floater. You know, if I'm getting eight to ten percent, I'm happy because I I know that I won't be spending anywhere near that, and I've got enough to look after myself and the kids and the grandkids. Um, so I was a little bit of a floater then. When he said to me, oh, no, you've got to meet this guy. He's, um, I think he called you St. Anthony of Kindness or something <laughs> like that. So, and I said, well, I, I must genuflect in front of St. Anthony of Because I'd like to get 90% as well. So I've, up, I've upped the gun side to 125 or 13% now, Tony. So. <laughs> uh, maybe, we, maybe we should follow your uh, advice and, and triple our prices for subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, at like the, yeah. If it's a if it's sainthood that we're um, that we're paying for, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of percentages, um, I wanted to just get back to your uh, publishing career before I forget. Tell me about the hundred and twenty percent money back guarantee. Yes. Okay. And um, uh, that is true. That was that went out on all of our products. And um, reality is, I, my my. Not only did the system making extra sales, that, that's a given. I absolutely can guarantee that, not only for myself, uh, but for many of, the, of our subscribers that I got to do that as well. And I think every business should do it. If you're selling an ethical good product, you should be, you should be quite happy to stand behind it. So um, we used to offer them 120% money-back guarantee. This is particularly on the newsletter when we would say something like, you know, and we believe we should... We should um, remunerate you an extra 20% for taking the time uh, to, to evaluate it. And, um, and when I'd mention that to people, I'd say, my God, you're on, the, you're on your way to um, the debtor's prison here. Um, and as it proved out, it was about one third of 1% who asked for their money back. And, um, and I figure that that's probably the level of the crooks that are out there anyway, that, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to do you any which way anyhow. So that, that was really a significant part of increasing our sales. And what, see, when you're talking newsletters, it's just not the first sale. It's that they would, they would buy other products. We had other products, they would renew their newsletter. And, um, I think we had a 78% renewal factor to into year two. And after year two, they tend to stay for a while. So, you know, I think we worked out at the end of a period each, the lifetime value of the customer is the term we always use. It's not $189. It was something like $3,000 because that's what the price of a, a set of our business manuals was at the end. We had um, salespeople travelling all around Australia selling 
to our subscribers. You know, this is the what what ended up being a five volume uh, business system. It was about three three thousand two hundred bucks or something like that. So yeah, I think people, business people in particular, should talk about the lifetime value of the customer. You know. Mm, no, definitely. Well, <laughs> well, let, let me ask you. So, we're we're I guess in a similar sort of business to what you were in. What what else should we be doing to uh, to provide services to our customers? Well, well, um, I think it's a case of really building up a stable of, of value stuff that comes behind it. And uh, if it was me in charge of your business, I think I would go. I would look at uh, segmenting it. Um, Nothing beats having a you know the champions club because everyone wants to be in it, um, and and you might charge people more for that. You know, like you, you can have tiered tiered services. I mean, one of them might be they can come around to your place for dinner every Friday night, Tony. You know, that would be a, a value add service. I'm sure you might like it, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it depends what. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I want to get one of those invites. Where's my invite? <laughs> You're in the wrong tier, Cam. You're in the worker tier. Yeah, working class <laughs> tier. Right. The drone. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> on the Tony Club. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good food for thought. Um, I was just also I, thinking I'm about... I'm going to be interested to see whether this, this hits the uh, the cutting floor too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think the thought I just had was seminars where we could, um, you know, actually teach the process to, to people who are new. Well, yeah, and look, I, I really do think there's great value in in promoting tribalism. Um, you know, the things with your dinners and that. I prob I think I'd take a different approach to what happened mm -hmm. at the Brisbane one. Um, I think you probably need to have it as a more informal thing where people can get around with a you know glass mm -hmm. of beer or a, you know, and, and and also have it a little bit structured. I mean, on the basis of uh, anyone who goes along, they've got to come up with three share ideas that they've thought about that they, they can share with others, you know, because mm -hmm. you get 10 people each with three different ideas, there's 30 new ideas that people can, can go on with. And, uh, and and that's the awful part about share investing, Tony, is I, I bet you've found it. It's a bloody lonely thing. You know, here I am, I'm sitting in my office, the air conditioning going, got the pooch at the feet, but that's it. You know, I'm, I could sit here like this all day. In fact, I could probably die in here unless we had a... <laughs> A bride of 45 years and a few kids outside. Well, yeah, it's funny though, but that's what I like about share investing. I mean, it's uh, I'm naturally fairly gregarious, but uh, I found in the early days when I go along to investing clubs and community events and things like that, it was, um, you know, three hours of, of talking and not much takeaway from it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefer to get in and get out quickly. I'll, I'll spend an hour in my office and then go and play golf. That's how I like to do it. Yes, yeah. Well, you're probably a good golfer. I mean, I don't. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a nuisance on the golf course. Um, but I think coming back to those meetings, if they're structured the correct way and you've got somebody who's leading it and keeping it on track, mm -hmm. um, I think there's great value can can come from it. It comes back to structure again, doesn't it? You know, how yeah, you would do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. Let's uh, let's talk about France, Damien. You and I haven't had a, a good opportunity to talk about France yet, but you're a bit of a francophile. Francophile, yes, I was. Probably not so much today, Cameron, because it's the country's changed. The last time I was there was 2011. Um, I've been there on a five, six, seven times. I don't know. I, I it's a different country now. It really is. I mean, I, I, I the days of me being there, there weren't as many people. I mean. Um, 
the traffic today is horrendous over there, and and the the, the climate political climate ain't that good either. But I wouldn't want to dissuade you. If you want to go, go. It, look, it's God's own country. In fact, if I had to come back to, to on planet Earth as a cow, I'd come back and live in France. You know why? <laughs> because they have four crops a year. Can you believe that? It's, the country is so fertile and rich, they can have four crops a year. You know, one of them is a nitrogen crop where they, they plough it back in. But, yeah, it's it's and the people, particularly in the regional area outside of Paris, um, uh, they, they're marvellous people and honesty still exists. They, no one locks, locks, needs to lock their back door. It's just a wonderful culture. The difficulty is if you can't speak French, it's a, it's a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you, no, do you speak French? No. I, 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 as I mentioned to you, I'm, I, I'm a failed Italian student of this year. I mean, I tried it, but it's, it's pretty hard. It's I still very hard. Words, though. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so your your interest in France, what what spurred that originally is not not uh, you're not a Napoleon buff like I am. It was uh, what what prompted uh, the first trip to France. Oh, look, I think just general travelling. You know, um, right. You don't have to be there for well and history. Let's face it, there's some marvellous history. And and you talk about your friend Napoleon. I mean, I've travelled a lot of the canals over there, and and. They were Napoleon. He he was. He's got to be one of the greatest citizens of all time, no question. Um, um, okay, he, he lost his his last uh, his last battle. It's kind of like a world heavyweight champion, you know. Dimitri Lisa no longer the world champion, but my God, he did so many other great things that uh, like their legal system, just just marvelous, you know. Mind you, having said that, I am a true Aussie. I I, I still call Australia home. I couldn't think of any other better place. And if I had to live in Australia, no better place than the Gold Coast. Now that's a shameless plug. Absolutely shameless. But it's this is this is God's own country. <laughs> yeah, well I think uh particularly in 2020, Australia's been a pretty good place to be. I mean the, the uh our friends down in <clears throat> Victoria have had a bit of a rough trot over the last six months, but outside of that we've been very lucky here compared to what's going on most places in the world. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Let's hope 2021 is a, a better year, huh? And Damien, uh, before we wrap up, you had the idea that you said to us recently that we've been trying to get into the habit of, of doing three stocks a week, three uh, Tony's stock picks of the week. What yeah. else do you think we could uh, do to make the shows more interesting? Um, I think it's uh, one suggestion's already been made, and that is I as far as I can guess, others too, struggle to to get the right three-point rule. So I think um, if each exercise you did, you did another three um, uh, graphs up there, this is the, the three-point line that, uh, that that yourself and Tony have worked out. And then at home, we can then model it and say, oh, well, okay, I'm... Because I think bit by bit, it's 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 mm. an acquired art and um, I'm, I still haven't mastered it. But I think that would be another um, a suggestion that, that I would make, yes. It's a good one. I didn't do any this mm. week. So more three-point trend lines, uh, more structured events, and massively increase our prices. They're my three <laughs> uh, takeaways this week. Yes, and, a money, and a money-back guarantee. Yeah, that's right. You didn't, you didn't miss – you missed 120% money-back yeah. guarantee. Funnily enough, we, um, we brought that into the auto care network with Shell. 
and it was uh, us as franchisors bringing it in. The service station operators were dead against it because they were worried about the claims. Mm. And uh, I think I paid out one claim in the couple of years I was working yes. to, to manage the network in you know, yeah. two, two and a half years. Yeah. Well, I did. I did think about that, but if I understand correctly, I mean, the purpose of a guarantee like that is to create uh, trust, give people an opportunity to trust that you're going to deliver something of value. The way that we do it is we do the free episodes, mm. um, so we people can listen to the free episodes for as long as they like, and then they only have to subscribe if they want to get more content so i'm hoping that you know that we've already established trust by listening to the free episodes for a month or three months or six months or some people have been listening to the free episodes for two years and still yes. haven't subscribed yes yes i think though there's a if you if you put on the the binoculars of the buyer uh, his thought process is oh well you must ha- you must have trust in your product if you're prepared to guarantee it i think that's yeah that's issue right up front you know and then up in the thinking oh well what have i got to lose here you know once you can get to know that situation because let's face it it's um it, this is the puppy dog clothes isn't it i mean what what does every pet shop owner do when you walk into the shop they take out a little poodle and put it in your arms and then you own the damn thing you know mm. you're, you're walking home with it <laughs> why because it's there and 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 you, you snap cuddly and that sort of thing so so a a person looking to buy, the biggest fear we've all got is, oh, what if I make a mistake here? You know, what if this isn't for me? What if I, what if I, I'm not good enough to do this? Doesn't matter. I've got a guarantee. I'll give this a go. So guarantee and open dinners at Tony's house every Friday. <laughs> Probably uh, an invitation for the Champions Club. Dinner to his invitations, golf course as well. That would be wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Round the golf, yep, we can charge for that. Probably uh, <laughs> in, in the winner's circle at, at the turf club. You know, <laughs> yes, yeah, good point. Well, one one thing that uh, I have thought about in the past was to was to consult to people to have a look at their portfolio. Um, I know, uh, you know a couple of our listeners have sent us what they're invested in and you, I can spot some, I wouldn't say mistakes, but things I do differently. Well, I yes. guess the, the problem that we're struggling with is without a financial services license, we can't give specific advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would see that as a bit of a stumbling block, yeah. And do you really want to go down that road? I mean, that's uh, that's you owning a wheelbarrow business there. Yeah, true. Know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, you should be making money as you're lying in bed, having a good sleep. <laughs> so, another great, another great uh, thing about share investing, isn't it? It is. Passive yeah. income. Exactly, yeah. right. exactly right. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it, that was actually really, just before we, before we wrap up, Cam, that was actually an eye-opener for me because, uh, you know, for the first half of my career, I worked in corporate and it was all about getting promotions and bonuses and getting paid more because I needed that money. Uh, but then after a while when I started to invest, I realised, hang on, I can make as much or more by lying in bed, as you say, at night and having it yep. roll in rather yeah. than dealing with all the people problems and all the issues and mm. all the messes the bosses were making. And mm. it was just, just such a much more attractive lifestyle. And that's yeah. the new advertising tagline I'm going to go with. Tony makes money lying in bed. You can too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Damien, well, don't, don't say I live in King's Cross when you do that camp. Yeah. <laughs> Damien, there, there I've been one. asked. 
the business better than that, guys, and that is the business has got no stock, no staff, yes, and no need to be there. Now, I don't know what it is, but when if you happen to find it, let me know. The ultimate but, return on investment business, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Damien, I've been asking guests lately to recommend a book uh, apart from your – is your uh, your books still available? Are they still in – No, well, they are. They are. They are. But, look, I, um, I'm, I'm happily retired now. I'm an, I'm an investor today. So I, I'd I hate to think what the price has gone up to now. They <laughs> went up like four times in a year 25 years ago, like $10,000 a book now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they were worth every cent of it, I can assure you. <laughs> I'm sure they were. So what uh, do you have any book recommendations? What are you reading I, these days? I sure do. I sure do. And um, it's Influence mm. by Bob Cialdini. And I and mm. I met uh, I met Bob. I had a little bit to do with oh. Bob when I was a publishing game. And that was one of my greatest eye-openers as well. I I just as a left-brained person, I, in fact I was having problems with a business part at the time, and I kept thinking, so why can't he see what I see? And uh, the reality was, is that, and well, my reality was that I had to get into his brain space because um, everyone's different. And but once you know how people tick, it's kind of like playing playing poker, and you, you know the guy's got you know three aces in your hand, two in his two in his hat, and a couple in his his, um, his socks. You know, it's just just easy. So influence by Robert Cialdini, a great insight into how the mind. Uh, thinks and works because that's how the mind thinks and works. That's what people are going to do. One of my favourites, actually. I think uh, I think I recommended it to you, Cam, a little while ago. Years and, ago, uh, yeah, yeah. And it, I, I got the recommendation from Munger in his book Lattice Work, which mm. is a great read too. Which mm. I've never been able to get Munger's oh. book. I, okay. I, I've got Cialdini, and I think Persuasion was Chal- one of Cialdini's other books that I read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. both great. But yeah, yeah, Charlie Munger's book. I've never been able to track down a copy. Uh, what else? Any other recommendations, Damien? Yeah. If we're going to the Gold Coast, when people want to eat out at the Gold Coast, uh, you got a nice little cafe downstairs at your place that we went to. Where, yeah. where else? Where, where's your favourite place to dine uh, out? We've got something like 356 restaurants, Cameron. Look, it's hard to make a choice. It really is. No, I, I, I'll, I'll defer on that one. Mm. Oh, next, next time you're down, I'll take you to a really good one. You like Italian? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. va bene, va bene. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bellissimo, bellissimo. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Damien. Well, um, thanks again for coming on and uh, telling us the story. It's a great story and uh, look forward to hearing more from you on how your investing does over the next year or two. Good. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, thank and you, also, I'll sign off with a chair. How's that? Yeah, chair, I got some. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Ciao.